Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast, your go-to resource for all things real estate and all things St. Pete. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. Welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast. My guest today is Megan Galane with Mountain West IRA. My listeners may remember you from episode nine when we discussed purchasing investment properties with a self-directed IRA. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about private or promissory notes. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me on again. I'm excited to talk about some notes. Me too. Talk about some wealth building. And I wanted to talk about um, these notes today um, for a few reasons. One, I think it's a great way to diversify your investment portfolio. Two, it's a great way to invest in the real estate industry without being a landlord. Three, perhaps I'm wrong, but I don't think this is a topic that is discussed widely. And lastly, you can get started with very little money. Um, so let's start at the beginning. How did you initially learn about notes and why did you decide to utilize it as one of your wealth building strategies? I started learning about notes because I was interested in real estate as a whole. So when I started going to seminars, joining webinars, going to networking events, I was in it to learn about everything real estate. And in the realm of real estate is notes. We get mortgages, we get um, loans, all that stuff. So, so notes are just a part of real estate, but most of us think of notes as something that the bank only gives or you can only get from a bank. So we don't really think about us being the bank or acting like the bank. And I had a rental. That one was a normal bank loan. Um, but then where I actually started to play with some notes was when I started doing some uh, fix and flips. So I did a couple fix and flips. All of them were um, private notes. And then the rehab was also private money. So I didn't have to go to a bank. I didn't get, it's nowhere on my credit. It didn't go against me in any way at that time. And it just kind of worked out where, like I I learned about the notes by being a consumer. I knew I could pay the loan back, but um, then it really piqued my interest in How can I be involved in fixing the community as a fix and flip process, but not have to deal with contractors and toilets and (laughs) everything that goes wrong in a fix and flip? Because for my rehabbers out there, my heart goes out to you because I can't do it. And so I had to quickly figure out how I was going to build wealth using real estate and not the technical or the normal rental method, because that was not something at the time I was looking for. And yeah, so that's how I got started with notes. And so I started lending to rehabbers just on the rehab process. So I started with a little bit over $5,000. I think it was about like maybe, okay, maybe like $6,000. And so, um, and I just actually partnered it with another, uh, another lender. He let me kind of piggyback on his on his big chunk. Mm-hmm. And I was able to start the momentum of note building from there. Oh, that's awesome. And can you talk about why a retirement account is the perfect vehicle to utilize when writing a private note? Yes. So I do self-directed IRAs, as you know, from episode nine. And 
when you have a self-directed IRA, the ultimate goal, like I'm I'm young, I'm 28 years old, so I started doing notes. My first note was at 25, I think, 25, 26. So I started putting all this money away immediately when I got into the workforce, and then I didn't have enough to go buy a house or even get a loan, and then I, I didn't want it sitting there, and I know nothing about stocks, so I didn't want to even mess with stocks. So I immediately had to kind of look at the look at inflation you're looking at everything going on and like you need to be growing those funds so like the retirement accounts you want it very very hands off i know in my life i enjoy traveling a lot i enjoy not having a ton of responsibility more than what i already have and i know for me rentals are not the way that I want to be living my life. I had one. I get it. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. It is. It's a ton of work. Worth it. Like, I had great returns, but it was just I wasn't 100% able to ever take a vacation um, because I managed it myself. So um, so when I looked at all that, I was like, okay, we're looking at notes. What, what can I use this retirement money for to start getting some return and get a, a consistent return? And that was how, I mean, I got into notes in my retirement account. I see my clients using their retirement accounts constantly with notes because you have to think this is, your retirement account is long-term money. Mm-hmm. Yes, a fix and flip is great. It's very, very, it's normally very short-term. It has a ton of work that's put into it. Now imagine having to get a contractor and trust the contractor 100% of the time if, if, with a fix and flip within your IRA. Mm-hmm. then you can't do it too much because the IRS will then say that it's a business, but they don't tell you how much. And it, it becomes kind of this this gray area where you don't know what the IRS wants because they don't say it. Mm-hmm. Awful at communication. And then you also don't want to, you cannot do any sweat equity with your IRA. So you would never be able to go fill in for that contractor. And so at that point, I mean, Notes is another great method, and it's very, very hands-off. Mm-hmm. You have no renters. All you do is check your account and make sure money came in when it's due. So that's that's one of, like, why Notes is amazing in your retirement account. And it's long-term. Yeah. You have money sitting there. It's just a constant flow of money. Right, and depending on how – it's almost passive. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is some work involved, but, you know, unlike, you know, like you said, having to go in and do the actual yep. work – just... So it's passive. It, it is way more passive than even like, you know, rentals or anything like that. But very, very passive in a sense of you collecting money. You're, you get to choose who you're working with. So hopefully it's somebody you trust or that you have built a business relationship with. Um, but then also in a passive sense, you don't have to actually go out and ever see the property. Mm-hmm. You get to sit behind your computer and crunch some numbers and decide if you want to do this investment or not. Yeah. So it's also just time-wise, you can do it at 11 p.m. at night. Like a lot of my clients seem to get their 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 forms done because they're off of work. Most people have a normal day job, mm-hmm. family, and then they get to do the investments. You can't go to go see a rental or go see a potential flip at 11 p.m. It's not right. safe. Right. So. When you started, how did you determine um, a good candidate for doing a loan with? So I have only done loans with people that I knew very, very well. I've never done a loan with somebody I didn't know well. And the reason being is just because um, as a friend, 
you get to see how people do business and how they handle things. And then when I was trusting them with my money at that point, like I already knew how they worked. I knew enough about them, their business. If something were to go wrong, I knew, like I had seen them in situations where I trusted that I'd get my money back. But I'm gonna jump ahead and say, yes, I, I work with friends. People will say that that's not a good idea, but guess what? Every single loan, no matter the amount, I, when I made sure it was 100% secured. So that was another reason it made it really easy to work with the people I worked with and mix like friends and business because I secured all my loans. And my the amount, I told you I started at $5,000 to $6,000, so the amount I'm starting with, if they're going to um, go through the foreclosure process on that amount of money, like I will take your house happily because I know it's worth more than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between secured and unsecured notes? Of course. So secured is... Uh, that it is secured, basically your note, it's a piece of paper, is secured, your mo- your money is secured within a house or within a, I've seen houses, I've seen like, like commercial equipment, vehicles, I like to use houses, they seem to not disappear as fast, mm-hmm. so um, securing it just means that if something were to happen, then you can go and, and get the house in reward of not having your money, and it's just like a mortgage from a ha- from a bank where the bank will foreclose on your home and then they get your house and then they put it through auction and hopefully the bank gets their money back. And it's the same exact thing except now instead of the house going through auction and taking years and years and years to go through foreclosure because you're, you know, one human on the other side, you can probably get the work done faster, your money's on the line. And so you go through the foreclosure process. Then at that point, you can choose if you want to sell it, if it's a rehab, if you want to continue rehabbing it, then sell it, or you can sell it as is, or you can make it a rental. So then it becomes long-term money as well um, in that method. And then, yeah, you can, you can kind of do what you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then unsecured is that you have zero security. So it's like a credit card. The average credit card has zero security. If you were to not pay your credit card bill, the credit card company cannot come after your house unless, you know, f- five other things are going on and it's a really dramatic. But um, yeah, so that's what unsecured is. Unsecured, I can tell you, I have seen very, very few unsecured notes that were not scammed. Sure. And the money was gone. So I, I tell my clients, I can't give advice, but I highly, highly suggest to secure it. If a person is uncomfortable or wants to manipulate another person into something being unsecured, mm-hmm. there's a reason, right. and you don't like it. I don't like that. I have, on positive side, I have seen a couple unsecured notes be successful, um, but very, very few. Yeah. So, yeah, so secure is great. I actually do want to tell a story about a secured note that happened during recession. So in 2006, we had a client that lent money on to a rehabber to rehab a house, and the recession, it took him too long to do the rehab. Um, and so then the recession hit 2007, 2008. And um, instead of, so he finished the rehab with the money. He wasn't going to be able to make his money back. So instead of selling his, um, the house at a loss, he called up our client and said, hey, 
I'm wondering if it would be okay if we change this note to a long-term note and I so I could put a renter in here and then we can have an agreement to sell it um, upon the market coming back or or we can keep it as a rent when you can get a long-term note money coming in and at this interest rate which was about the same interest rate he lent, already gave him money at but now it just turned into like a 10-year note Wow. so that's another benefit with notes is that you're a human like you can edit them mm -hmm. it's always ed editable and so um for me I heard that story saw it happen with one of our clients actually saw it happen with a few of our clients that's one of my favorite stories though yeah. and it made it so it's not 100% recession proof nothing is right but you have the flexibility to continue potentially making money even in a down market yeah, which is great, mm -hmm. especially for your retirement account. Yes, yes. You don't want your retirement account to be losing. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, when you write a note um, for someone who's looking to flip a property, do you require um, that they carry a certain amount of insurance or use licensed and insured contractors or provide certain things like title insurance? So when I, this is me personally, everybody else will have different things to say about this. So when I do a note, mm -hmm. it is me saying, I trust you to make the best decision, um, but I do want insurance on your house. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I just get put, I get added to the house as a, as a, additional, the additional insurer to get notified if the insurance were to lapse. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's. Yeah, but it's just insurance. I don't worry about the contractors um, or the uh, really anything else. I'm not lending enough for it to be 100% of the house. So they sure. have some skin in the game. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of skin in the game from when I started. I mean, now I do bigger notes. But yeah, so it's um, just like a bank. They're not checking on you to see the contractors. They're not checking on your how you're going along with your timeline, your estimated process, all of that. So I take my my part of delegation and being a bank very seriously, and I don't do extra work if I don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, some with renovation loans will yes. will because they're giving out the money in draws. Yes. So it's not a lump sum. I yeah. So I don't do that. I do do okay. a lump sum and. And I get my payments monthly. I always get payments monthly. Yeah. Um, even though they're going through the rehab process, they better have money coming in because from somewhere else. Because yeah. uh, one of the things I've kind of noticed with accounts is that the longer people have between payment periods, the longer my clients um, don't know when there's something actually going wrong. Mm -hmm. So when I check my payments, I'm getting payments every single month. Even though they're still rehabbing the house, they're still feeling a little bit of pain because I need my payments. Mm -hmm. So they're going to work faster to get it paid off and continue to move money like that. But, um, but that's, so that's happening every month. I've seen some like quarterly, every six months, every year. Like the loan could have went bad eight months or two months into it. Mm -hmm. Now you're 10 months down the road and you had no clue if you waited a year to get your first payment. Like it's just, it's just a, for me, that is my level of security. Yeah. To know that there's money coming in elsewhere and that you could pay your bills on time. Yeah. So um, do you incorporate points or fees into your notes? I do not. Okay. Uh, the reason being it's just I do smaller amounts. The rehabbers, they're people that I trust. Mm -hmm. I've worked with before. I used, I've done probably, oh, I wish I counted before this podcast episode. <laughs> I think I did five notes with the same person. Wow. I've only lent, I've only... 
um, created three different note relationships. Mm -hmm. And one of them is completely paid off, and I will never do one again with them. Not that anything was wrong, just I just didn't like some stuff that they did. And then um, the other one I did a few notes with, and my third one, my the one most recent one, he, there's still a note out right now. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I once you find some good people or a good person, I like to reuse them over and over again. And it's kind of the same method as fix and flipping. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's I'm doing long-term holds, but I'm doing it consistently on a normal basis in my account. So it grew really fast. Yeah. So, but it, some of our accounts will do like a hundred, two hundred thousand dollar note. It's our whole account. They're getting eight to twelve percent, and that's right. a thirty year note, which is yeah. totally okay. But I, I'm in the business. I like being able to go fast. Yeah. <laughs> churn, churn and burn. Yes, I yeah. I wanted to grow that those retirement funds, and I do mine one hundred percent my retirement account okay. in a Roth IRA. So very nice. So in addition to creating these notes, another strategy is just to buy or sell notes to other investors. Um, can you talk a little bit about, for you, how do you determine a good note from a bad note? So I use, I, well, I play on, I have not created or, or done a deal yet, an tr- actual transaction on it. Mm-hmm. It's a software called um, Paperstack with no K, so it's just P-A-P-E-R-S-T-A-C.com. Okay. They have a whole platform, it's like a... Um, I wish it was like it's not a Zillow to Zillow. It's not a Zillow because it's um, it's actually uh, the seller to the buyer. Okay. So they're just the platform that connects you, oh, and it's okay. a very very minimal fee to use their services, and it's all tracked on there. All the communication, all the paperwork, everything's uploaded to Paperstack. It makes it so easy um, to actually see the note. But then in addition, people log in all the information, so it looks like. The Zillow screen of like all the information, like HOA fees, all the you know all the mm-hmm. all that side stuff, and so Paperstack has made it really easy, and that's how I actually started learning about other notes. Okay, was just by going <coughs> going on there and um, comparing and seeing percentages and um, if they're performing, not performing, and and kind of playing with it and, and doing my own calculations. So 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 what you're saying is if someone may be looking for hard money or a private note, Paperstack could be the conduit that connects the parties? Potentially. I'm not sure if they have them for new notes. It's normally already pre-established notes. that are seasoned. people are, okay, got it. Yeah, so they're normally seasoned notes. Um, so but if they're probably an investor is, who's looking to buy a note, yes, that's where they Yeah, go. so if you're not in a position like, I am where you're out at networking events and constantly talking to people within the real estate business, but you want to get a note investing. At 11 o'clock at night, you go on paperstack.com and you can go search notes that have already been created by people like me mm-hmm. and get the interest rate and get all the stuff that you want within the note. You can look in your area and you can look. Um, if you don't want to invest in your area and you just want to invest anywhere where it fits your specific numbers, mm-hmm. you can look by that. You can look by performing, non-performing, and so then it creates a platform and you message the person, almost like a Facebook message. Mm-hmm. You message the person, I'm interested in this note, and then you open up the conversation about how you can purchase it. And mm-hmm. normally it's a lot cheap. The non-performing are like pennies on the dollar. Right. The performing notes, they're, you get them at a discount, but they're not always like 50 cents on the dollar or anything like that so yeah so for people who aren't um 
who don't know what non-performing and performing notes are. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So performing notes are uh, people that are paying their bills on time and making sure that you get paid on time. And you, it's a normal, a normal note. A non-performing note is somebody who has lapsed. They've stopped making payments. They may not be in communication with the person with the note. Um, they basically are headed towards, they're in the pre-foreclosure process or foreclosure process of that note. And what people will do is sell their, the, the, um, the um, note that is going through foreclosure, they'll sell it for not really pennies on the dollar, more like quarters on the dollar yeah. <laughs> um, now, right now. So they'll sell it and then um, you can go in there and how what people do is that you can actually go in there, contact the person saying like, hey, I just purchased your note or I have your note. I'd like to get it performing again. I'd like to get you back on track so we don't have to foreclose. What can we do to get you on track? Mm -hmm. And then it, we go back to you're dealing with a person to person. It's not very intimidating. It's more of like, let me help you. And then at that point, you can um, kind of walk them into Maybe it's they can't afford the monthly payment. They have to have lower payments. They have to extend it another couple of years, but you could still get the same interest rate just by lowering the payments. Um, you just never know. Yeah. Sometimes people just forgot or they thought it was automated and yeah. nobody reached out to them and told them they weren't getting a, a bill. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you just never know. Well, I had a situation with a short sale where they had a new roof put on mm -hmm. and they had gotten a loan from the roofing company and the roofing company went out of business and sold the loan. Mm -hmm. And no one, the, the new investor did not respond to this, the homeowner to say this is where to send the checks. Mm -hmm. And so after the seller or the homeowner had sent in a couple of checks and had them returned, mm -hmm. they didn't know what to do. Well, that investor passed away and the son inherited oh, the, and the way all of this came up was they went to sell their home. And there's a lien. And there was a lien. And so we were able to work it out and, you know, take care of it. But it took a couple of months to unwind who actually owned the, the lien and how much they were going to ask. Because, of course, all of these interest charges mm -hmm. are adding up and the seller has no idea that this is going on. Mm -hmm. And that happens far too regular, Yeah, honestly, way too regular yeah. in the real estate world. Yeah. Um, and it's just communication, things are sent via, via mail, yep. it may never get there, and yep. nobody knows, and yeah, so right. it happens. And sometimes that's, that's all it is, is you just calling them and saying, hey, this is what's going on, let's get you on track. Yeah. Yeah, because that initially was, I think, like a $7,000 loan mm -hmm. by the time we had gotten to it, it was like 35000 because several years had passed and, yeah. But it, they never reached out, so I'm sure you can Yeah, they were that. able yeah. to wipe out a lot of it. Mm -hmm. So um, non-performing notes might not seem like a worthwhile investment since the borrower isn't paying on the loan, but can you talk about why? I mean, you did allude a little bit to why mm -hmm. um, investors want to buy them because they're getting it for a fraction of mm -hmm. the cost. Yeah, that, and then um, some investors really like, um, they, they are in the investment world to help people 
own real estate. Mm-hmm. They're very, there's a handful of very, very great investors that they truly got in it to make it better and make it a better process. So um, that is part of it. A lot of notes though, like I have found a lot of notes are not um, homesteaded properties. Hmm. So it's normally like private notes like this mm-hmm. is not normally homestead. Like I would never loan on a homesteaded no, I right. mean a homesteaded property. So um, it's just different rules with homestead versus investment. And so sometimes, I mean, if it's an investor, just like your story, the investor could have passed away and the heirs didn't know where to send it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's sometimes it's really just that communication, that little barrier that um, that is very easy for some people and they like doing that. Um, but that little barrier makes it so that their payoff is so much more. Yeah. Um, so it's personally fulfilled, money fulfilled. It's going to be because they bought it at a fraction. They get more back. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the notes get extended, so they get they get more interest payments. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that's people like non-performing. I there was a, a little period where I was learning about non-performing, and it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard great stories. I learned from a lady who. Um, that's all she did was non-performing and she built her whole um, investment portfolio off non-performing notes and did amazing and it was really interesting to hear her side but after doing some research I realized that going back to my bank ways (laughs) I don't I don't want it to do anything (laughs) so it's like just I'm gonna lump sum you money let's let's get this payments in monthly and so it's it's just a method of investing, something that people specialize in. Yeah, and we'll talk about homestead on a future episode, but you know, the reason why a lot of people don't want to have a note on a homestead property is it's much harder to foreclose. Yes. And there are a lot of things that need to happen in order to make that happen. Yeah, and there's different rules with, and as laws change, they're normally in in um, the safety of the, the home buyer. Right. And they're trying to protect them. And so as me, as an investor, I then just get looked at as I'm the big, awful bank, not right. a human. So, right. yeah. So homestead, I stay away from. Yeah. So another way to generate income without putting out income is seller financing. Mm-hmm. So if you own your home outright and it's a, an you're using it as an investment property or maybe it's a second home that you don't live in, mm-hmm. it's a great option because of the tax liabilities are far lower if you're um, setting out the payments over a longer period versus you know having to pay capital gains on mm-hmm. a one-time lump sum. Lump sum. Mm-hmm. So can we talk a little bit about um, seller financing? Yeah, so I've never done seller financing. I've tried to negotiate deals, and the realtors wanted nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> I'm a realtor who will help with seller exactly, financing. Exactly, yes. So, yeah, so let, let Nicole deal with the other realtor who's going to fight you on it. <laughs> <laughs> but seller financing is um, a great way. How I was trying to use it with people was um, it was heirs, mm-hmm. and they were fighting over these, like, pennies like it was so small of like how much they were going to be getting from the sale of this house mm-hmm. um, but it was owned uh, owned outright and basically I was trying to explain to them that I can set you guys all up to make about the same amount of money that you're going to make with this one sale over like I'm gonna double it by doing it by in 10 years right. versus right now and so they wanted nothing to do with it and it sounded like they all hated each other anyways <laughs> by the end of it so I'm glad I didn't get involved but 
So that's what's mind-boggling, though. Yeah. If you know how mortgages are amortized mm-hmm. and you do a 10-year note, mm-hmm. you can make far more money because of the interest you're accruing, especially at the rates a lot of private and promissory notes have mm-hmm. in comparison to the the historic low mortgage rates that are available right now. Yep. Yeah. It just yeah. is mind-boggling to me that that, you know... People don't do it more. Yeah. And seller financing, unlike a landlord, when you choose to do seller financing as the seller, Mm -hmm. you are no longer responsible for the taxes, the um, dealing with anything utility-wise, the maintenance. Like, that person is like is on the path to own the house Mm -hmm. just like i am on the path to own my house with my mortgage through my bank Mm -hmm. it's the same exact thing and i think people miss that because you're involved they think of it more of a landlord versus i'm selling you this house i it's hands off like Mm -hmm. if you don't pay i get to foreclose on it right just like the bank just like the bank and and that's where the i i really feel like that's where the misunderstanding comes from yeah. But seller financing is really interesting. I worked with an investor who that's well, that was his whole business model mm-hmm. was seller financing, and it worked out great for him. Where um, he actually didn't even own the houses outright. He would get a mortgage mm-hmm. on the house, put somebody who wanted seller finance, seller financing in it, and the the monthly payments for their seller financing would just cover the mortgage, yeah. the taxes. So at that point, he did pay the taxes because it was a mortgage, just like my mortgage pays my taxes. Right. And, um, yeah, so that that was his whole business model. So um, it's a little bit – it's a little – it's more paperwork for sure, but mm-hmm. um, it's a, a foreign concept, I think, mm-hmm. because we have phased out person-to-person business and just do business with a bank because of the historic lows. Right. Like, the numbers would have to be really good for me to be asking for seller financing right now mm-hmm. because I'm bankable. Mm-hmm. Like I can go get a 3 3 4% loan from the bank that I never talk to anybody about as long as my check gets there. And, right. and so, um, yeah, so I think seller finance, that's one of the reasons why. I think at one point, seller financing was really worth it because the bank rates were so high mm-hmm. and um, people weren't bankable. Yeah. So. But, and and res- the regulations have changed quite a yes. bit because of the Dodd-Frank Act and after the real estate crash, they've really... They're tightening, they, they are trying to tighten it up and maybe loosening it up right now, which yeah. never is good. But, um, yeah, so, and it goes back to... You have to be very familiar with the Dodd-Frank rules and any laws that change on behalf of um, the, the consumer. Yeah. Because there's, there's a lot of consumer laws changing. But that's going back to why I would never homestead a property, never loan to a homesteaded property. Right. So it makes it a little, a little weird when it gets to homestead. I have people that do it. They love it yeah. because they're helping somebody who may be an entrepreneur who can't get a bank loan because they haven't been in business for two years or more and and yeah it's like impossible to get a loan or for a national oh you know who may not be able to have tap into banking Mm -hmm. or you know different yeah so seller financing is awesome for those people Mm -hmm. for me i my credit score is great I have, a, I have a normal job. I can, I'm bankable. Like, yeah. It's really hard just to get the, the differences. Yeah. I like that hashtag, I'm bankable. <laughs> um, well, we talked about, um, what was the website? 
Paper stack. Paper stack. Um, for, in, for people who are interested in learning more, are there any other resources you would recommend? So I did talk to Paperstack before this, this call, because, I mean this podcast, because I wanted to make sure I told you guys the right stuff. So Paperstack has like their FAQ, they have blog articles and stuff like that. Um, they actually have an educational course, oh. and then they they connect with another guy in Orlando. They're based out of Orlando. Okay. Um, so they connect with another guy named Kevin... I'll send you his information. I can't remember his last name, but he runs the like a the Note Expo. Okay. He um, just got like top educator and all this stuff in notes. So I'll send wow. you his information. I've never worked with him, but I've worked with Paperstack quite a few times. Our clients use Paperstack all the time, and they love it. Okay. Um, so I work really closely with Paperstack, so I trust their judgment yeah. <laughs> on it. Um, but Paperstack does have education as well. I'm going to just give this disclaimer when I say it. You can find good information on bigger pockets okay. regarding notes. The only thing is you need to be very, very careful and and be aware of where it's coming from. Just like the internet, you can't trust everything on the internet. Right. But uh, bigger pockets is where I actually did start learning about notes. Okay. When I got really into the nitty gritty, <coughs> I depended on people I knew, liked, and trusted mm-hmm. at that point. And um, getting an attorney to write up a note is not crazy expensive. So I really highly suggest getting an, an attorney involved. For your first few deals after that, you may feel comfortable. But I had an attorney write up like my general note mm-hmm. that I, I use for my rules. And then I just change who it's to, the interest rate, stuff like that. But do not get one off the internet. Yeah. Go to an attorney. They're not expensive, like less than $200 normally mm-hmm. to get just a template to use. And, yeah. And then I even, I, I have a deal worked out with my attorney where I just go to him every time. Awesome. And he just, he knows it's the same thing and it takes him maybe 10 minutes or PA 10 minutes to do my thing. Yeah. So it well, works out. <laughs> well, thank you very much. We will definitely include this information in the show notes as well as your contact information. Of course. Um, do you have any events for Women Building Wealth or upcoming events you want to talk about? So Women Building Wealth, I do not have any in-person events going on. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm working on Facebook, but on Instagram <laughs> right now, once a week I go live and teach things about business and money. So if you're interested in that, or you can join me at my podcast at Women Building Wealth, and I talk everything money and business. So Mondays is Money Monday, and Thursdays is everything business. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm excited. It looks like I may have to come on for 29 as well, so we just start hit every ninth. Nine? Yeah, I think so. And, oh, yeah, I I didn't even make that connection. I I didn't either until you said it in this Um, episode. For sure. But I I do want to incorporate more wealth building uh, episodes because, you know, it's, it's the road to freedom. Yes, it is. And it's so helpful. Yeah. Okay. Well, have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you can listen to future episodes. And if you have a show topic that you'd like to share with me or have a real estate related question that you'd like to ask, I'd love to hear it. You can call or text me at 719-201-5022 or you can reach me via email 
at Nicole at SellingStPetefl.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-E at S-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-P-E-T-E-F-L.com.